Welcome to this episode of the High Viz podcast. Today we'll be hearing from Graham Watson and Claire Bratty as they discuss the impact of the IR reform bill in the construction sector. Good afternoon, everyone. I'd like to introduce you to Graham Watson, who needs no introduction. But for those of you who may not be so familiar with the name, Graham has recently joined CORS as a senior partner and is considered to be one of Australia's leading IR experts. He has spent 19 years as a partner at Freehills, 10 years as a vice president at the Fair Work Commission, and recently as a senior advisor to the government. Today we're delighted to have him here at CORS and we're going to talk about IR reform and how that may impact the construction industry. So Graham, given your vast experience um, in this sector, um, could you give us some thoughts on how you see the IR space developing in the construction sector over the next five to ten years? Okay, Uh, well thank you Claire and it's great to be part of CORS and contributing to this discussion. Construction industry and IR are two things that uh, uh, don't necessarily go well together. It's a little bit of a a disaster zone if you look at uh, the difficulties of strong union, militant union, um, and uh, the extent of disruption and power that uh, can be imposed uh, across across the sector and the sophistication of their techniques. We talk a lot in general reform about the enterprise bargaining system. The construction industry contributes to most of the enterprise agreements that are actually made, um, except uh, on any real analysis, uh, there's no enterprise bargaining. Um, they It's a, a pattern bargained agreements very little flexibility allowed by the union to depart from their standard arrangements. A history of militancy and, and lawlessness, that uh, is, a, is another dimension altogether. And I think any consideration of reform has to deal with both of those different limbs. So in terms of the lawlessness, we've had um, the ABCC re-established There is uh, the building industry code that applies to public sector funded work. We have uh, a history of prosecutions being taken by the ABCC against uh, particular uh, examples of behaviour. Quite often that uh, deals with situations of uh, several years before and that's hardly an immediate remedy for a current problem. But uh, and, and there are increased fines uh, now available and starting to cut into the system. But the history, as the courts have made pretty clear, is that uh, paying a fine several years after the event is simply a cost of doing business for the union. The union has, uh, as, a, as a result of their patent agreements, has a money stream that uh, flowing from commissions into worker entitlement funds and um, and other benefit funds and superannuation. And those funds uh, produce a pretty wealthy balance sheet for the CFMEU, which other unions are looking to emulate and spread. So it's not a pretty pattern. Um, It's not an example of uh, an industry where there is great potential and anyone in the construction industry needs to accept the realities of that situation and the limitations that that presents. Any uh, attempt to change and reform 
really needs to be thought through very carefully and uh, there needs to be smart responses. So just on that game, I'm sure that the union would be saying, but it's it's great that we have pattern bargaining in place because it means that our, our members have better rights. Their wages are going up 3 to 4% each year for the next three years. From their perspective, um, because pattern bargaining is in place, it means the employer costs go down. Is a sentiment that we often hear from the union movement that we're actually saving costs because they have in place the agreements for three or four years, giving stability. Um, what would be your comment to that? Well, I think the evidence is that the cost of building projects in Australia is uh, significantly a long way from best practice. And the cost that comes through from those union agreements, it is it is good for the employees generally. Um, if they're working on a union site compared to a non-union site, you're on a much better set of terms and conditions. So those employees know uh, what produces the better results for them. But when so much of construction and infrastructure is government money and you're paying so much more for those projects, then that means there is less infrastructure, less hospitals, less schools can be built with that amount of money. So as a community, that uh, that's not a good situation. And it's uh, well established by, by the evidence and um, there is a case for a change. The difficulty is how you make the change. Um, and it's very difficult for an individual company to buck the system in any way um, and usually not a smart thing to do. There is potential both in terms of uh, uh, law compliance, legal compliance for the government to do more. There is also potential in terms of productivity for the government to do more by virtue of the building code for publicly funded work. And although the Ensuring Integrity Bill failed in the Senate Mm. uh, a year or so ago, there is a distinct prospect of bringing that back with a particular construction industry focus. Another opportunity for improved work practices um, to be undertaken is uh, the Building Code Review, which uh, I expect the government to initiate and uh, invite input into. In terms of bargaining, Again, that's that's a fraught process at the moment and there's been some recent attempts to uh, break out of the system. Those things could be looked at but uh, obviously need to be treated with great caution. Indeed, and we have seen um, recently the decisions that have been in the Fair Work Commission where um, the pattern bargaining agreements have got through um, with some of the large building companies, but yet ones that are tending to go out on their own doing unique um, boutique enterprise agreements have not been so successful in having their agreements approved. At the Commission level, um, uh, do we see a, foresee a change in that space um, or is this something that um, is just going to continue down that path until we see much more of a fundamental change, perhaps at a legislative level? It really is uh, a very disappointing situation that uh, with the union agreement, um, with the, the letters CFWMEU on the top of it, an application can be approved within 10 or 11 days, but uh, for one that is not supported by the union, it's uh, several months and it gets rejected because uh, certain clauses of the agreement are said to be not adequately explained to the employees who 
know the agreement because they work under it now mm. and um, and substantially voted in favour of uh, its continuation with wage increases. So that uh, demonstrates an approach from the Commission which is uh, unhealthy. Things are not all lost in that regard, but it, I, th- I think it indicates uh, the, the nature of the difficulty that you, you're pushing against the system and the system um, very much is used very effectively by the CFWMEU. In those particular agreements, if uh, you know, take an example, if something hadn't been explained adequately because uh, taking the union's name off it means has some implications for dealing with uh, grievances during the life of the agreement. It would, and if that was the only matter, you could say, okay, we'll explain that matter further, plus everything else we explained previously, you address every matter mm. that the Commission says was not adequately explained, and you have another vote. And if the employees are keen to, um, to support, continue to support that, then um, it is possible, in fact, to learn from those decisions, even though you've been put through the hoops, and get an agreement over the line. But there's a significant investment in that. And, and just to get to the point of getting a positive vote where the union um, would have campaigned very strongly against it, and then uh, for the company um, to suffer the, the ignominy of having the agreement voted down is is a, uh, a significant setback in the eyes of employees. And the employees uh, are necessary in order to continue to support um, the approach of the company to have uh, the necessary flexibilities uh, without without taking away benefits. There's no suggestion of that. It's simply departing from uh, the latest uh, version of the of the pattern deal. So there's there's some potential there, but, but you don't do it lightly, um, and, and you you need a lot of work and support behind it. And in that space as well, um, Graham, we've just recently in the, in the last couple of days, um, we've seen the court orders uh, again um, penalty payments to victims of the CFMEU for unlawful pickets and, and New South Wales police. And reading between the lines in relation to that case, um, some of uh, that penalties came out because the crane operator wouldn't put in place the union pattern bargaining agreement. Do we think there's more work to be done in that space with the regulator? Um, Do you think perhaps um, the ABCC needs to be given more powers in that space? Or is there another alternative way? Well, there's so much work that could be done by the ABCC to address every breach and every uh, uh, transgression by the union that uh, uh, any further resources would only help more. The increased fines are only just starting to cut in as a result of actions taken a couple of years ago and flow through the courts, and you're seeing the size of those fines increasing. uh, You're going to get more publicity about this matter because the High Court has uh, agreed today to take on a a case to look at whether uh, the penalties that are imposed have regard to the track record of the union. There'll there'll continue to be uh, attention to these matters and uh, there must be a point that the extent of fines actually works as a, a, an adequate deterrent. Um, and the sooner you can get there, the better. 
because there needs to be that change of behaviour that the penalties are directed to to address. But I think where, uh, at the moment, the unions uh, are saying it's a cost of doing business, there needs to be more in order to change that to that's a, a cost that we, we can't afford to continue. Out of these benefits that uh, fund the union effectively, by virtue of the pattern agreements that uh, require payments to be made into various funds, it is essentially the employers and then uh, ultimately the government or, or clients that are paying for uh, all these benefits. Uh, watch the flow of the money. It flows uh, basically from the community in one way or the other through their taxes or um, or the payment as a client through into the hands and back to into fines and it's just a circular process mm. which adds to the, the cost of, uh, of construction and must limit the type of um, development and construction and infrastructure that uh, is then available to the Australian community. And you raise a very good point there because I mean soon the international borders we hope um, will open up and we know that there is an appetite within Australia to attract foreign investment however that may manifest itself whether it's in the building of new factories and we talk about the new Silicon Valley that may, may well be here how our manufacturing industry needs to be bolstered so that we can become self-sufficient Surely that means construction of major projects, whether it be the roads um, into these places, the plants themselves. Um, how attractive is Australia looking to foreign investors um, at this point in time, given the complexity of our system? Well, uh, those people who, um, who have to put proposals together for to attract investment would say that uh, we're not helping our cause. And... Uh, uh, where there is a choice to make investments elsewhere, if you're an oil and gas producer, um, do you do you look to Australia or do you look to Africa? Same for mining, and uh, uh, we, we look elsewhere in the world where there might be um, yeah, not uh, anything like these sort of problems. There, we have been very lucky being a resources-rich country. But a lot of the infrastructure around the resources sector is is pretty weak. It needs greater investment. Uh, the rail network should be a lot stronger. Uh, where you're talking about you know, the freight industry, it is really uh, the cost of that infrastructure is borne by the, the users, which are not shared by travelling public on roads, etc. Um, it's all borne by the users. So that's all, all uh, uh, an added cost to investment in, in infrastructure and the like. And um, so it is holding us back. We could do far more and we need to continue, I think, our efforts to do something about the building industry to, to improve that situation. Do you think that we will see a resurrection of the provisions concerning the Greenfields Agreement that we saw in the Omnibus Bill? Yes, I think um, that's a necessary reform. It makes sense. Um, the case on the merits has really been made out. I think it's uh, unlikely the government, having had that part of the bill voted down by the Senate effectively, I think uh, it's unlikely they'll put it up again before the election. But it's such a, uh, an obvious and useful change to take that risk factor away from major projects and the, the benefits that major projects deliver in terms of flow on of jobs and everything else. 
you only need to attract one more project and you've really produced a lot of extra immediate jobs and long-term royalty payments for the country. And it's an important reform and I expect it to um, come back in the next term of government, probably regardless of uh, which party is elected. Graham Watson, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Claire. Clearly, this will continue to develop, so watch this space. And thanks for listening to this episode of the High Viz podcast. This podcast is for reference purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. You should always obtain legal advice about your specific circumstances.